Well, how many of you like baseball? How many Cubs fans are there? It's interesting. More hands went up for the Cubs than for baseball. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross. It will literally take us all eternity to comprehend the depth of your love and your mercy and your grace and your sacrifice. Lord, bless us as we dive into that a little bit more today. Bless us. For this we pray in your name. Amen. It was Frenchie's last season to play Little League Baseball. And it was no surprise that at the end of the season, the umpires and the managers got together and they elected you know, different uh, individuals from the different teams in the league to serve on the all-star team. And it, it was no surprise that Frenchie was one of those who was selected. He was a hard-hitting, hard-hustling catcher. When the regular season ended... The all-star players came together to start practicing in preparation for their first all-star baseball game. There was another boy named Robbie Smith who was on the team who was also a catcher. And uh, everyone knew that Frenchie could out-catch and out-hit Robbie any day of the week and twice on Sunday. And besides... Robbie had another year of eligibility in Little League. Certainly, no doubt, next year, Robbie would start for the all-star team at catcher. Under the circumstances, it sounded absolutely absurd and ridiculous to Frenchie. In fact, it was so absurd that he almost just busted out laughing. When one night after practice, Frenchie's dad said, don't be surprised if the manager starts Robbie behind the plate. How could he do that, Frenchie exclaimed. Everybody knows I'm a better catcher. Well, just in case, Frenchie's dad said, why don't we come out to practice a little bit early tomorrow night and I'll hit you some ground balls at third base. Frenchie really didn't believe that that was necessary. But if it would make his father happy, how could it hurt to field a couple of ground balls at third base? Early the next evening, while concentrating on stopping a hard-hit ground ball at third base, Frenchie hadn't noticed that the coach, the manager of the team, had pulled up and was present. Suddenly, a voice came out from nowhere saying, nice stop, Frenchie. I've decided to start you at third base. Robbie is going to catch. This was a very, very hard lesson to learn. But Frenchie realized for the first time in his tender life of 12 years old that it's not what you know. It's who you know that counts. You see, Robbie's dad was the president of the Little League organization in that town. That day, Frenchie learned that life is totally unfair. Have you learned that lesson? At the tender age of 12, 
Frenchie realized that life was totally unfair, but that's life. And since Frenchie was French, he could say, c'est la vie. C'est la vie. But that's life. Well, with a last name like Pichette, I didn't think it took too many of you very long to figure out that during my Little League playing days, I was referred to as Frenchie. This was really a shock and a sobering reality for me to learn. And, of course, not at that time, but afterwards I learned that there's even a word to describe what took place there at that time. And that word is nepotism. Nepotism. Yes, nepotism is favoritism shown on the basis of a family relationship. Now, I think we would all agree that most forms of nepotism are truly unfair and unfortunate. Back when I played Little League Baseball, I certainly didn't appreciate not being able to play my position. And and honestly, I felt pretty bad that I had displaced a couple of individuals that made the team as third basemen. It was a hard pill to swallow. It was really a hard lesson to learn. Life is unfair. There, I said it. Life is unfair. And it's reality. But that's life. C'est la vie. Some kids are born with silver spoons in their mouths, while other kids grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. Some children are born healthy in caring, nurturing families, while other children are born addicted to heroin. Life's not fair, but that's life. It's the only life we have. C'est la vie. Some kids are born in the United States of America, a land of freedom and opportunity, And other children are born in third world countries and will not survive to the age of five years old. They will starve to death. Have you noticed? Life isn't fair. Youth, young people, have a quality that I just absolutely respect and admire. It is their highly tuned, fine-tuned sense of Fairness. They have keen vision and they can see injustice from a mile away. How many parents have ever heard a son or a daughter exclaim with righteous indignation, It's not fair! Absolutely, absolutely, positively. As Christians, When we're confronted with injustice, with prejudice, with inequality, our righteous indignation goes up too. And we get upset. In fact, we get angry, and it's appropriate. By the way, when we boil it all down, the biggest problem in the world today, and the reason why life is unfair is because of sin. You and I live in a world of sin. And it's out there, and it's in here. Right? 
Children, I have a spelling question for you. What is the middle letter of the word sin? I. That's the problem. I. Sin is selfishness. And we can see the problems of the world all boil down to the problem of selfishness, sin, greed. All the problems boil down to sin. When we see sin in others, we tend to look up to heaven and say, Lord, what are you going to do about that problem? (laughs) What's up with that, God? And if we're honest, we have probably all prayed asking God to, in fact, do something about him or her. Rarely do we ever admit the sin problem within and take responsibility. Well, this morning, I have some good news for you. The bad news is life is unfair, right? The bad news is sin is everywhere. But there's good news from God's word this morning that I want to share with you today. God has already done something extremely and remarkably important regarding the sin problem. God recognized that it isn't fair for us to have to live our lives in a world filled with sin, a world that is indeed unfair because of the mistakes. Nice word, mistakes. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. All of the the suffering and, and this world of sin and its consequences that we experience are because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And we should all say, with righteous indignation, it's not fair. It's not fair. Because, again, the suffering that we have to endure because of sin. There's a wonderful passage in Scripture, Romans chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them. If you have your phones, I would invite you to turn them on and go to your favorite version of God's Word. Uh, I would encourage you, in fact, to study this passage more uh, and more in depth than I'm going to deal with it today. Uh, But I I do want to focus on it because it's in Romans chapter 5, verses... 12 through 21, and you can remember that because, well, you have five fingers, right? Romans chapter 5, and and we start counting with 1, 2, so that's 12, right? Verse 12, and then we reverse it to 21, to 1, all right? So you all got it. I would encourage you to study this passage because it is in this passage that God deals with the whole issue of sin and fairness, And if you are there in your Bibles, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Basically, in this passage, God is saying that sin came into the world because of one man's offense, one man's sin. And we would all agree today that that's unfair. We suffer because of their mistake. We're born with a sinful nature And it's their fault. It's their mistake. Uh, God, however, goes on to proclaim that grace 
And the gift of salvation also comes through one man. And that is the man Jesus Christ. Let me just read verses 18 and 19. Let me just jump into the heart of this passage. Uh, I'm reading now from uh, the New King James Version. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Life isn't fair, but Jesus makes it right. This is a wonderful passage. So I would encourage you to read it, study it a little more today. I also want to read those verses in the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson's wonderful uh, translation. Here it is. He's got such a wit. He's got such a gift with writing. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong, but one man said yes to God and put many in the right. Praise God. Praise God. Now the reality is it's not fair that we suffer because of Adam and Eve. It's also unfair to Jesus because he had to die on the cross to take the penalty of sin. So that we could, who are sinners, could be saved, could be made righteous. Praise God. Praise God. You know, there are so many times we see problems in the world and we wonder, it's not fair, it's not right. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why, pray tell, do bad things happen to good people? It all boils down to life isn't fair. We live in a world of sin. But praise God, this morning Jesus took care of the sin problem. He died on the cross to pay for every one of your sins, past, present, and future. Sin will not keep you out of heaven. And let me go on. It wasn't fair that Jesus had to pay the penalty on the cross. That's not fair, my friends. That's love. That's not fair, that's love. Praise God that he did it. And it wasn't easy. As we see the struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we see him struggling over having to go through that agonizing death, and it wasn't just the physical death. Ellen White says it so beautifully. He couldn't see through the portals of death. He died willingly forever to save us. That's not fair. That's love. He died so you and I could live. So that you and I can live eternally. How can we be sure that we are going to have or access this free gift of salvation? How can I be sure that what Jesus did on the cross will be for me? 
I want to share with you what the Bible teaches very consistently and very clearly when it comes to the topic of salvation. Because here it is, folks. Here it is. It's biblical nepotism. It's who you know. It's not what you know. It's who you know. I want to share with you three main scriptures, three key scriptures from from the New Testament that show us clearly, without a doubt, it's not what you know. It's not what you do. It's who you know. First one was our scripture reading today. John, the 17th chapter, verse 3. Now this is eternal life. Okay? John the Beloved is waving a red flag saying, pay attention. This is all about salvation. This is eternal life. That they may know you. It's all about who you know. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's all about knowing Jesus. It's about knowing God and being known by him. It's all about who you know. It's really pretty amazing that that the foundation is all about knowing God. And and it's remarkable as we read the story of Scripture that this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God wants to be in relationship with, drumroll please, you. 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 How would you like to get a text? BFF. Jesus. Because that's really what this word is is sharing with you. Jesus wants to be your best friend forever. Being ready for heaven is all about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How? By taking time. By having him have the, the significant time and part and attention and focus in your life. You know, it, it almost sounds so trite to say, well, it's through Bible study and prayer. But my friends, it is. It is. It is. Look at your schedule. Look at your time. Look at how you divide the 24-7 that you have. How much of it is putting Jesus in first place? That's really what it boils down to. We get to know people by spending time with them. Quality time. Quality of time quantity of time. It's just what is. We spend time in God's word to get to know Jesus, not just know about him. Friends, when it comes to salvation, God's word is crystal clear. In other words, when it comes to receiving the gift of eternal life, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's who you know. The second, pas- the second passage or text is John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. Very familiar text. You, referring to the Pharisees, you search the scripture, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. 
By the way, in John's gospel, when he uses the word life, he's really talking about salvation. He's really talking about eternal life. He's telling these men, you study the Bible because it's on your to-do list. I hope this doesn't sound familiar. Oh yeah, done it. I've read the Bible today. I put in my time. I read my three chapters or my three verses. Done. Because if I read the Bible, I'll be saved. It's a doing thing. No, 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 no. Jesus said, how can you possibly read through the Old Testament and not see me on every single page in every chapter? This Old Testament, this Bible, testifies of me. And yet, you claim to read it, but you don't accept me. Jesus is saying this is incongruous. It isn't the task of reading the Bible. It's the reality of knowing who the Bible is lifting up and and teaching about. Jesus was telling these Bible scholars that just reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible, it doesn't cut it. Studying for the sake of information, students, to pass a test, doesn't cut it. The entire Bible is all about Jesus. We need to read it in order to get to know Jesus Christ. So we'll be able to trust him and accept him and follow him and obey him. Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing in the entire world because it is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. The third verse, the third passage is one of the scariest passages in all of Scripture. Far scarier than anything from the book of Revelation. Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 22 and 23. Many of you will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. It's all about who you know, friends. I never knew you. Depart from me. And then the next phrase is actually terrifying. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Other translations say, depart from me, you evildoers. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. These guys are church members. These are not the ones that are passively sitting in pews. These are active. These are engaged in ministry. Depart from me, for I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Wow. This is frightening. This is frightening. These individuals were involved in church, and they are shocked by the outcome in the judgment. They were clueless. Now, let's admit, they were very successful in ministry. I mean, they were, they were powerful. They could cast out demons. They could perform miracles. And yet, I never knew you. I never knew you. What they did was awesome. What they didn't do was loathsome. 
It was about show. It was about power. It was about authority. It wasn't about Jesus. It was never about Jesus. They did not know Jesus Christ personally. And there is a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. The truth is I know a lot about Michael Jordan. Even before moving to this area, I was a big Bulls fan during Michael Jordan's time. I know a lot about Michael Jordan, but I don't know Michael Jordan at all. I've never met him, never talked to him. I've seen him on TV. You know, the guy with the Hanes commercials. I don't know Michael Jordan. Not whatsoever. I know facts, statistics about him. Playing for North Carolina. I know all the statistics. But I don't know Michael Jordan. And there's a world of difference between knowing the Bible, knowing the facts, knowing the texts, having all the right Sabbath school question answers, and knowing Jesus personally. The sad reality is there will be church members lost because they don't know Jesus. They don't know the essence of church is Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. It's all about Jesus. And if, and if it isn't, then we're evildoers. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you. And folks, it doesn't matter what tax bracket you're in. It doesn't matter what level of education you have. It doesn't matter how big or how small a house you live in. We all have 24 hours a day. We all have equal access to the Lord Jesus Christ. He sits on the edge of his throne waiting for you to talk to him. He loves you that much. Friends, salvation is all about knowing Jesus. Why can only Jesus save you? Because only Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He's the only one. He's the only one. Jesus himself, there in John 14, verse 6, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is Christianity exclusive? Absolutely, because only Jesus was able to die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Those who accept Jesus Christ by faith and are saved by his grace, who have a personal relationship with him, will be saved. That's the bottom line. That's the gospel. It is Biblical nepotism. It's who you know. Students, and there are a number of students here today, I pray that someday you will look back and greatly appreciate and value the Christian education that you've received here at the Downers Grove Church School. This Christian Seventh-day Adventist education has not come cheaply. It was provided by, for you by parents and church members in the family here that
that have sacrificed greatly to provide it for you. I pray that someday when you're older, you'll really truly reflect back on the godly lessons that godly teachers shared with you. Our teachers model Jesus Christ every day in the classroom for our kids. They provide an, a, a tremendous, enormous, grandissimo ministry. That's what it is. It's a ministry to our kids. Some of our children will be in heaven because these godly teachers introduced them to Jesus Christ. There's no higher privilege for our teachers than to introduce our children to Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. And I thank God for our dedicated Seventh-day Adventist teachers. They are making an eternal difference. I encourage you to pray for them. It is not easy being a teacher. It is hard, hard, hard work. And they don't do it for the paycheck. So they need your love, they need your prayers, they need your support. Students, your parents, your pastor, your teachers, your classmates desire more than anything in the world that you will know and fall in love with Jesus Christ and that you will get to know him personally so that you can live with him for eternity. But the reality, boys and girls, young people, only you can decide. Only you can make that decision. No one can force you Only you can choose to spend time getting to know Jesus personally every day. Too busy? Really? (laughs) It's a matter of priorities. I don't want them to put on my tombstone. Got everything done, still died. It's a matter of priorities. First things first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Right? It's all about priorities. Now this is eternal life that that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Some people spell salvation D-O. Others spell it D-O-N-E. And I believe that's how Jesus spells it. Because of what he finished on the cross. When it comes to salvation, friends, it all boils down to who you know. John 10.27 says, My sheep Hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. God bless you.